Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 122. As Bali said before we started recording, this is the show where we talk about Desmond Tutu, clearly, because it's episode 122. So what's your favourite Desmond Tutu fact, Bali? Um, I know very little about Desmond Tutu, so maybe this was a bad reference. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's just talk about a man who we actually have no idea anything about whatsoever. Um, that's a really good way to start off podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's what we do on this podcast anyway. Yeah, exactly. We just spout opinions on things we really have no idea about. That's just a regular fare uh, for this show. But uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to us spout our nonsense. It seems like some people do, so that's good. Um, and we're going to do some more of that today um so yeah bali how are you doing today how are you holding up i'm very good i i've been on holiday and i'm back in scotland and we're going to a wedding tomorrow and then going back to brussels and then uh, we're moving to scotland this summer so it's all very up in the air and complicated but there's always time for a bit of a bit of podcasting a bit of this nintendo life that's what it's what we love absolutely absolutely and also having a switch available when you're moving around the place to play the most recent release it's very nice, I assume. Yeah, exactly. Like Octopath is is following is is staying close to me on my on my travels, uh, one might say. So it's 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 definitely making traveling a lot more seamless and enjoyable. Especially just with like my- the characters in Octopath Traveler, you yourself are yes, a wanderer of the world. I am. I am. <laughs> Where are your seven other companions, Bally? Are they scattered? Oh, they're catching the up. They're, well? they're low level okay. right now. So I'm I'm the oh I'm I see. The, okay, I'm the high level. You're the party leader, I assume. Exactly. Very good. Um, okay, well, uh, we are going to be talking a lot about that. Uh, Bally, what else are we going to talk about on the show? What is the run of show for today? So we're going to do a two-segment show. First segment, we're just going to be talking about Octopath Traveler and our experiences so far with that game. Uh, and then second segment, we're going to do an extended email segment. We've not done your listener emails in quite some time, so we've got a few of those to bring in to the show and have an extended segment for that uh so yeah two segment show uh that's what we got lined up all right fantastic well let's begin then with what we've been playing and both of us of course have been diving deep into the recently released jrpg octopath traveler which uh, just came out on the switch and has been i don't know i've seen a lot of news stories popping up about about how it's just selling out like crazy in japan and it's number mm. one on the eShop in north america um this game seems to be doing particularly well for itself and i'm not sure why it maybe is a nostalgia play for a lot of people because it has that very striking look to it but i don't know i feel like this may signal some rebirth for the classic jrpg in a yeah. sense it feels like a lot of people are gravitating towards it yeah i mean my impression was that jr traditional jrpgs outside of things like pokemon so i mean like maybe turn-based rpgs i should say um really don't sell that well on nintendo systems compared to other games generally was my impression they they might like get past a million units every now and then but not very often and this game i'm assuming is going to go well beyond that i don't know yeah it seems like it has a lot of momentum and it's funny because you know the team that worked on this i think a lot of people worked on bravely default as well and bravely default was a good success critically i don't know how well it did commercially i'm sure it did pretty well in japan did okay here but i think the difference here is the the nostalgia for kind of your classic super nintendo rpgs like final fantasies and things like that is probably ringing true with an older crowd Uh, and so that's why i think a lot of people are probably 
getting on board uh, at the moment and uh, i don't know I, I i wonder if this affects dragon quest 11 which comes out later this year whether that has some impact because more people are positive on jrpgs now uh, but we'll see um but uh i think that we should probably just get into just our general thoughts on octopath so far how much have you played so far bali kind of whereabouts are you in the game um i'm 16 hours in and we should maybe say we're gonna we're gonna talk sort of mechanic spoilers but nothing story related spoilers i mean how about that like, no sort yeah of, yeah so we can give our impressions on the story and how we feel about it generally but yeah. uh but yeah not gonna you know, spoil anything because people are playing through it right now it's just come out so yeah i'm 16 hours in i've done all the chapter ones got all eight characters and i'm i'm just starting my first chapter two uh with primrose and it's like getting to that sort of first chapter two and the the way that enemies ramp up like there's definitely quite a considerable jump but so far like i'm absolutely loving it i think that the battle system is probably the highlight for me the battle system and the presentation and presentation both in yeah. terms of that art, gorgeous 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 art style that we can't talk, hype up enough um and the fully orchestrated soundtrack is just uh, beyond belief to be honest it's so so strong throughout yeah music in this game is tremendous i love it it's it's exceptional it's just exactly what i wanted out of this game there are a few tracks in particular there's the really somber like melancholy track that plays i know the one you mean um, now you were mentioning it the other day and now i've yes it's multiple times it's come up now and oh it's so good it's it's really nice it's with an acoustic guitar isn't it i believe so yes i believe it is with an acoustic guitar um and it just has a really nice vibe to it kind of reminds me of like a xenoblade kind of town theme in a way um or maybe kind of xenoblade 2 has a song that's somewhat similar that's a cutscene song that i really enjoy as well definitely having similar vibes to that series for me um but it still has its own identity and it's it's, it's different in its own way um you know i've i've really enjoyed that uh, aspect is probably the biggest highlight of the game is is the soundtrack i think it's it's really phenomenal and that's something that for me is so important to my enjoyment of a jrpg because as a game where you're going to be playing it a lot uh, and doing a lot of battles and things you have to have the music be good otherwise it's going to get on your nerves you know like mm. hearing the battle theme again and again forever and ever is is bad and i think the really nice thing is they actually switch it up don't they so when you get to chapter two the battle theme changes completely to something else and it's like oh now i have some some new thing to listen to and get invested in Um, yeah like i'm I'm just getting that new theme and it's 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 nice to that it's it's stepped up a level that battle theme and like it's nice to have something different to listen to that you're going to spend an awful lot of time in battles listening to um so it's nice that it's it's different yes yes Uh, i think more games need to do that is like change up because so many of them Mm. are guilty of just having the same battle theme throughout the entire game so by the end you're just like i am sick of this this is the worst Um, so kill me now um so i actually want to talk about the presentation a little bit because for me it is more of a mixed bag than i was imagining I i can't remember what i thought about it when the original demo came out but at the moment it seems like they have thrown a lot of filters and things on the screen that kind of 
make it less of a crisp experience and so that's something that bothers me a little bit so you have the sprites which feel a bit more blurry than i imagine them to be mm. um some of the details harder to make out and i think it's because a lot of what they do is this is this tilt shifted look but it also what it does is it blurs out the background so there's a lot yeah. of blur on the screen so all you can see that's kind of more in focus is very little um a lot of the things that you walk towards will shift and change as you get closer mm. and the blur will move across the screen um and to me it's it makes it look like a kind of um i don't know like what captain what did they use to refer to captain toad like the box garden kind of idea right of like you're looking right. inside there is a sense of depth that you're looking into this kind of um I don't know, they made a flip-up book for the special edition, didn't they? It's kind of like that effect. Yeah, it looks like it looks, literally looks like a storybook, I guess, like you're looking into yeah, one. Yeah, right. Um, and it's, it's really cool that they do all these effects over the top. I know you're a huge fan of Ophelia's town with the snow mm. and the mm, kind yeah. of frost on the ground. I really like how it sparkles and it kind of like brings out that quality. And you also have the like the little snow effects that drift across the screen as well. That stuff is very well done. But I do think overall that they may have slightly overdone it with some of the effects on the screen in terms of that blurring, in terms of making it a little less sharp. Um, Because I think as the sprite work goes, in the menus, it looks really nice. I love the crispness of the sprites in the menus. You just don't get them like that when they're either in the battle scenes or walking around the town. Um, And and that may have to do with, I don't know, the, the resolution on the TV that I was playing on didn't look particularly great. I switched to my monitor. It looked much better on there. Um, But I think so far, my only issue with the visuals is that it's not quite as sharp and crisp as I would like it to be uh, for a game like this. Um, yeah, I don't know no, how you feel about that. If you if you're okay with like the visual stuff going on, yeah, I I definitely maybe I'm liking it a lot more. I, I it, it bothers me less, I should say, but um, I agree that they might have slightly overdone some of those effects. And there's often like loads of light and dark effects um, that can really blur aspects. Um, and you're right, like the characters themselves are very pixelated, and there's definitely a lot of blurs going on top of that on top of those pixels that can maybe make them look a little bit blurry i think that overall it generally works i've been playing on just basically my my switch tablet um for now just because i've been traveling so much i've not played much on the tv um and that, the, the little have bit you seen that it I have at all seen, on the tv yeah the little bit that i have played on the tv they definitely look a bit more crisp um, but it's still not amazing um i think that yeah gen- I just, i'm generally, not sure that's what they were going for with this game yeah no it's it's tricky because i think they were going for like we're gonna have really crisp characters in these sort of immersive more atmospheric world uh worlds i guess so it sort of wor- it just about works in my view um it could have been slightly better but i i, I like the storybook look to it and i think yes ophelia's town is very good with like the snow and the ice um i also think that a lot of the water effects look really, really impressive. Um, yeah, especially like absolutely the, the town that Tressa's from, and the, with the ships and the water and the rivers and the caves and oh, the lighting. There's the pirate cave you go to with Tressa's chapter one, um, where it's sort of the lighting and puddles of pools of water in a dark environment just looks um, unbelievable. Like I can't believe that how good that looks that effect they pulled off 
Yeah, I actually, I think that's probably the best part of the visual design is the blending of the kind of 3D aspects uh, and the the things that are done, you know, through the Unreal Engine that make it kind of stand out and, and like, you know, the characters cast realistic shadows from them, even though they're 2D kind of pixelated characters. Like, they, they yeah. have 3D kind of models built around them, so they cast the shadows. You see the, the water effects. You see the fire, like, flames are, like, realistic flames that are burning in the background. And again, you know, the snow effects and things like that. So uh, the lighting as well is really well modeled. Like, the light will reflect off of surfaces and around corners and things like that that so when you are carrying the torch around sometimes it actually helps to find secret areas in dungeons where you can go find a treasure chest or something like that Mm. um so i think that strikes a really good balance the other thing that i love about the game is the transition from indoors to outdoors and when you walk through a door and it so seamlessly like transitions you into the interior of that space um that's one of my favorite things about breath of the wild is just opening the door and you going in and then being no load screen and stuff like that i think Mm. it works in a very different way in this game but i always love that when that happens that like the seamlessness how you can just walk straight in and the transition is so incredibly smooth um it looks fantastic that's that's definitely a high point for me um so so yeah i i feel like um a lot of this game as you said before is built on the back of a battle system that is incredibly good and has a lot of flexibility to it and there's a lot of kind of options you have how have you found the fight so far and have you had a certain strategy that you've stuck to or what kind of uh, tactics are you finding the most effective when you're kind of going into battle um i've really so with the chapter ones you're mildly forced to keep changing your team because you have to have the relevant uh, character for the chapter in your team so I've really gone whole hog and made sure that I've essentially rotated my team as much as possible um, to make sure that no one's too under leveled knowing that they'll all have to be a certain level at some point to do their own chapter so I've been rotating a ton and I've really just enjoyed rotating a ton and adapting different techniques and strategies to different battles um so characters like Hannet and Ulbrich, I think, play fairly similarly where they just do these really heavy physical attacks that often can attack yeah. like the whole whole team. Um, I, I do try to make sure that I just sort of evenly whittle down shields and then try to use those um, big, powerful cross multiple enemy attacks. So uh, characters like Cyrus um, and Ophelia and Primrose, where they've got these like magic attacks that can just hit large numbers of enemies, uh, trying to do those when enemies yeah. are broken as much as possible, but also using those attacks less boosted um, to, to get breaks and making sure that you only boost attacks that are once enemies are broken. Simple strategies like that. But then characters that I've really struggled to kind of integrate as much, although I've gotten there in the end, are, are characters like Alfin um, and Tressa, where they, they just have like... Alfin's very frustrating in that you just have to keep topping him up with all these potions and things that he uses in battle and like he does have some interesting skills as well and like he can wield an axe pretty heavily but there's kind of he's got these thing he's got these um skills that they just don't feel properly seamless and he's sort of like a he's like a semi-cleric but he doesn't feel like 
a traditional cleric that just heals lots of damage to your whole team very easily. It's always like you always have to just jump through a few more hoops with him. I find no, he f- he feels like he's more targeted to focus on one person as opposed to Ophelia who does multiple people at once. Yeah. So his first aid is like. I'm just going to target this one person, make sure I help them. Um, And then, like, he has one icicle attack, which is, like, not particularly powerful, but it's good for breaking people if you have that weakness available. Um, And then, like, just his concoctions. There is this thing, I feel, about potions in games and making potions that I just never vibe with, you know? I just, um, in The Witcher, you, if you were doing, like, the, the harder difficulties of The Witcher, it was really important to make potions and use them in battle for specific enemies like uh, making sure your blade was coated in a certain poison to face an enemy or making sure that you had taken certain uh, ingredients to increase your power and things like that and you'd have to make these and kind of craft them yourself even in skyrim which i've been playing uh, quite a bit of there is the opportunity to make your own potions in that game as well and that is a system which I'm just like, oh, I have to remember to get what ingredients and like make sure I'm picking them all up. They're all scattered across my inventory. I don't know what I have. There is something about that style of gameplay that just doesn't fit me. And I think it's just a little bit convoluted for its own good. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about Alfin in the sense that he, he can be useful. And, you know, he can really help you in terms of, oh, I need to get SP on everyone. So there's not really... A good item to do that you can use like a bunch of i think it's like the group heal um for sp with inspiriting plums but it's yeah. a very expensive item and yeah, you have yeah. hardly any of them but alfin can make that item with relatively kind of cheap early to get ingredients so stuff like that he's very useful in in those situations mm. i feel like he's maybe a little too situational for me at the moment and i feel like his abilities would be better suited as a secondary job on another character in my party um, uh, just to have yeah. the flexibility if I needed exactly. it, you know? I would say Alfin has the most satisfying noise in the game so far. And what I mean by that is is his he's got one axe move. Uh, it's a skill called Amputation. And it makes the most yeah. satisfying, like, c- crunching, like smashing of an axe sound like i think that is my favorite uh sound design like effect in the whole game so far yeah there's been some good especially when you break enemies and the rumble kicks in as well that always is fantastic i i love that i haven't actually got that skill on him i actually went for last stand which is the axe attack that hits everyone oh um, right which is i wanted i usually go for the attacks that hit everyone because i like doing that in games like especially in this game when enemies have similar weaknesses doing that with tressa especially with the wind spell has been helpful um trade winds i think it is the the multi-hit one uh is been great so so that's what i tend to lean towards and that's why me starting with cyrus was actually i think a really good idea because he is so really really useful yeah. you every time you enter a battle with him he immediately reveals one weakness of the enemy for every enemy so you know straight away he then has a skill called analyze which you can actually boost so on the first turn if you boost with analyze you reveal two of their more weaknesses oh, so you get two right. more weaknesses and you also get to see how much hp they have but the hp only appears for a second and it's like in the middle of the screen so you have to be aware that it's there um and make sure yeah the first time i used that i was like well i missed that completely <laughs> like I, I just saw a tiny little bit of text appear for a brief second it's like well i need to be more careful when i use this it's not great they should have it so that it kind of stays there so that you know but i think that i don't know it, it feels maybe they wanted to do that to increase the tension but 
um, or something like that. Yeah, a a turn could be good, but like... One turn without it just flashing briefly would be generous. Definitely. Yeah, that would make it much more convenient to the player instead of if they forgot, because sometimes you analyze just wanting to see the weakness and you're like, oh crap, I missed the HP number, which is actually (laughs) kind of useful a lot of the time. It's like, really? It's a choice they made, but it's fine. Uh, And then obviously Cyrus also has a bunch of spells so he has like ice fire and lightning and his secondary abilities for his skills are they all of those uh spells hit twice in a row so if you have an enemy that is weak to fire and has a two shield you can just use one spell and then cyrus will have broken them in that one hit and it's like oh that feels so good but you could have a group of enemies that are weak to fire with two shields and he can immediately break all of them at once all of them is, at once yeah. yeah which is oh it's so so good it's the yeah. best feeling so and then powerful. like when it cycles back to him again you can boost him twice to get like times three and then just use the fire spell while they're weak and it's like they're just gone they're just dead that's a lot of my grinding has just been using cyrus with his spells right. to just clean out enemies it does sap his mp a lot though so i have been finding because i'm someone who i always like to keep sp healing stuff for dungeons and bosses as much as i can i don't want to waste them because i might be in a situation yeah exactly you don't want to spend loads of money on them either exactly yeah but it's one of those jrpg things bally which i think you'll get to know as you play more jrpgs but it's the thing that by the end of the game you actually have like this stockpile of like 70 of these things you're like well (laughs) i I, I, I was saving them yeah I was saving no. them for this one point, and then you get to the end, and you still have them all left. And it's like, <laughs> well, I could have used them, I guess. And it's like, oh, uh, you know. Yeah. There's this hoarding mentality that happens yeah. with those types of items in these games. Uh, it's hard to get around, but I always fall into it. I have been using them consistently, and I have also found that it's quite hard to make a lot of money when you've not got Tress in your team. Like, she makes yes. you a lot of money from both stealing and just walking through areas. Like, when you're grinding, she's great to have in your party just when you're approaching new areas to get a bit of money but i've really found that often when i get to a shop that the the new special knife or bow or sword that is just a few, it's always just a few thousand away and i'm like oh look i'd love to have that and it's, i'm always just a, a and they're getting really expensive now i just saw right. something that was like thirty thousand, and i'm like oh i only have like fifty four thousand. that's like half my money gone on this one thing <laughs> right. um so yeah it's it's tough in that sense i i personally have not been keeping up very well in terms of gear and equipment i don't Mm. know how you've been doing but i think like a lot of my characters have the the starting buckler in terms of like what they're wearing and i'm like that's not good i should change that because it's yeah it's it's but it's hard to like manage all eight characters at once uh, and, and being able to do that I'm tempted to completely unequip characters who aren't being used and then just when I when I bring a new, a new character to my party to just click the optimize button and then rather than yeah. trying to have eight sets of great armor and weapons to maybe just have five, six sets of approximately right. everything and then you can bring it in and out. Maybe that's what I might start doing um and just maybe trying to sell some of the old stuff they, do they stay on the character when they leave your party yeah. still because yeah. i've found situations where i'm in a shop and i'm trying to sell something and i'm not sure if someone has it equipped mm. I, I think it was yeah. showing me that recently but there was one moment where i was like i have this thing this necklace i think it was and i thought someone was wearing it but it said that it was okay to sell it and i was like i don't know this seems a bit 
weird um so it i really wish it would break it down a bit more in terms of what is like you can just sell this and it's fine and no one's wearing or anything i wish it was a bit clearer about that because i did run into a moment where i was like i i'm pretty sure like this hairpin or whatever it was is equipped to ophelia but she wasn't in my party at the time so Hmm. it's like "Mm, yeah i'm not sure on that one i know that stuff stays equipped when they are out of your party but i'm not sure if those items appear when you're then trying to sell items I, i can't remember that okay yeah um yeah i just i i want that system to be a bit easier in terms of managing it and making sure that you know what is what um but yeah i think your idea of just keeping a smaller set of really good equipment and then just rotating it between characters when they come in is probably smart um feels like what we did when we played final fantasy 6 you know just when someone comes back into the party optimizing their equipment to make sure they have the best stuff you want um is probably the easiest way to do it yeah um uh, but yeah and it, the thing that gets even harder is as you get secondary jobs which um that's what i've been doing recently is going around the world and finding all the secondary jobs which means that for example you could make theory on which i did a cleric uh, so that he can heal as well as do thief stuff which means he gets access to staffs as a weapon uh, but he can also like use the light spell that uh, ophelia can use and stuff like that um, or you could make like i made cyrus a merchant so now he can get all the money skills that Tressa has as well as uh, being able nice. to use the wind spell um and he is way more effective with magic so giving him access to that one element that he didn't have before with wind was really really useful right um so stuff like that you can do uh and pick up the secondary jobs later on um which you know i need to be great (laughs) yeah it it really helps especially against the bosses in in chapter two and stuff like that Um, but what i was saying is when you get to that point you then have to make sure they have a good weapon for that uh class as well so i just made um you know uh theory on to a cleric i need to make sure the staff he has is actually effective and will enhance his spells if he does them and and stuff like that just making sure Mm. that he's okay along those lines what do you think of the difficulty so far so i thought with the chapter ones i found i found the first half of the chapter ones uh probably slightly tougher than the latter half just i think it was a combination of me oh, really? getting used to the me getting used to the game but also i think i was much higher leveled on some key characters for the last okay. four bosses or i mean maybe i maybe the last four boss, bosses i faced were like some of the first ones you faced and I, it's hard to i mean there is definitely scaling going on obviously but it's sometimes hard to identify maybe uh what the bosses you faced were like versus the ones i faced based on yeah. the order which we played i don't know but um but i thought that they got trickier over time for okay. me personally um and i think it was a, so a lot of the stuff with the bosses is to do with just how much health they have yeah. because i think it's a very spongy game even the regular enemy encounters sometimes can last yeah. quite a while R- really um, long and I think the reason for that is because they want you to use those systems. They right, want you to right. break the enemies and then build up enough boost to where you can really smash them with a big hit. Um, and then they want you to do that multiple times, right? So when you're doing it against a boss, it's just happening again and again and again. And then, so the later bosses will start having more phases. So Therion's chapter two, which is the only chapter two I've beaten, the boss has two minions and then you kill them and then you can hit him so then you can access his uh kind of abilities and things like that and then once you get him down to a certain hp amount 
then he brings in another enemy that's like a guard in front of him and you have to deal with two at once now uh, and making sure you're capable of doing that so they have phases they go through where they'll add different things in and out um but i i think it's similar to xenoblade 2 in the sense that xenoblade 2 had systems where you were supposed to build things up right you were supposed to use your specials to chain to get to a certain element and then you'd add that element to the enemy and then you'd start the cycle again to add another one and then you have like multiple of these different elemental orbs surrounding the enemy then you do a crazy high chain attack and do like two million damage in one hit and Mm. that was kind of why xenoblade 2's battles lasted so long is because they really wanted you to dig deep into that system and that's what i think is going on here as well is they want you to be breaking and making sure that you're managing your SP and your health. And I think that's why, you know, the battles, the, some of the boss battles, this most recent one, was like 25 minutes long. Wow. That is no joke. It is a incredibly hard and long battle. Um and it requires a lot of concentration and forward planning as well. It's it's all about looking on the timeline to see when a certain enemy's yeah. turn is coming yeah, up. Yeah. To make sure that you're breaking in a uh, tactical way. To make sure you're breaking them before they get a chance to attack. Um, seeing how many more turns whoever you have broken has left. And which characters you have coming up before that. So if Cyrus is coming up and I haven't got any boost points on him i'm feeling really bad about myself because i can't do a really big hit on the boss before he breaks out of his stagger and then sometimes some of the bosses will get extra shield points to them so like they will start with eight and then when you uh, have broken them once they'll go up to nine and then the next time they'll go up to ten like and it keeps going higher um, which makes it even tougher so it's it is a lot of planning and making sure that you are set up the boss uh, and the way i dealt with it was so i'd seen during the quick look that dan reichert was using hanit quite effectively against the boss Mm. and she can capture some some really powerful enemies and use them to do crazy high damage so what i had done before is i'd gone to this kind of snow area where there were a bunch of like really powerful polar bears and i'd caught Uh, two of those um and so i took those polar bears with me into the fight and what i would do is i would wait until the boss was staggered make sure that honey was like maximum on boost points and then just max her out on the boost points and uh throw the bear at the boss while also beforehand i'd had the boss uh lowered his defense with Therion with one of his moves um, and also buffed honey's attack with one of her moves using the warrior class so i was really like trying to get it in as much of my advantage as possible and so when the bear like finally slams into the boss it did like 2000 damage twice in a row which was right. incredibly helpful when the boss has like 30000 hp to do like 4k in one well, turn that's is still is, that's is still great. as big of a hit as that is it's still a long yeah. way to go you know like it's a lot of strategy it is yeah and so that's why you need to make sure you have multiple of those that you're able to pull out in a fight like my most reliable is using cyrus and sometimes it will be you know 900 and 900 for the two hits from the spell so that's like around 2000 as well which is good and if i can consistently do that then that's fine but you know you have to make sure that by the time you're there with cyrus with boost points you have enough sp because i've come to that point as well i have the boost points cyrus is in the perfect place shit his sp is low i need to give him a plum to boost that as well so there is a lot of forward planning and making sure that you have everything set up right um so and i think the battle system is done so well where 
like you were saying, lining up which enemy is going to be broken at what point, and it it it's it right. indicates it really well in the way that it, they like highlight in the timeline, and it's all so clear. Like there's no way that you can muddle it up or mix it up because it's all just laid out to you so clearly. Um, yes, very very good visual design. What was the fight that you struggled with the most so far? Hmm. Um. I'm trying to remember. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe the the pirates. The, the they're like a oh a right duo. yes yeah. Um. They kind of use these moves that make when you try to attack one of them, it ends up hitting the other one, and vice versa. But I, I couldn't. I could never work out what the system was there, and I just I basically overpowered them in the end. I don't think I strategized yeah. very well. Essentially, right. Um, but yeah the, 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 there's i think just random often i'll just wander off the beaten path and encounter just crazy hard enemies in the wild that they've really wiped me out a few times and i've yeah. really noticed going from trying to find the chapter two town of Prim- primrose's chapter two the the route to get there has been just so brutal and i like i accept that i'm not using all my highest level characters i'm trying to level up like my cyrus is the lowest right the way yeah. that i did him last so i'm trying to get sure. him leveled up a bit um and yeah i really kind of used quite a lot of items just to try and keep them all together and it, it's pretty tough i've i've i'm even the, as hard as the chapter one bosses were, and some of them were much harder than others, I think that for chapter one in a, in a JRPG, they were actually really tough. And like knowing that chapter two is going to be a lot harder than that, and that's only chapter two out like four chapters in this game for all the characters. Like this is going to be a really, really challenging game. And I think I just need to um get those extra classes as soon as possible and get some level ups going because um yeah it will just make you so much more flexible and able to deal with situations where otherwise you'd just be like okay well this character can't do anything against his enemies so i guess i'm wasting a turn you can have all the strategy in the world but when i've got two people in my team who can only use staffs i'm just not getting the the widespread physical attacks that i need um as good like i think hannah is incredible at yeah that. that was my problem when i started out because i went cyrus then down to um tressa and then back up to ophelia and i was like for the longest time i just had these two staff users and then bow and lance and so i was struggling right. quite a bit when it came to enemies that were just using you know physical weaknesses yeah Right now, I've got uh, Cyrus, uh, uh, Primrose, and Ophelia, and like all three of those are single physical weapon wielders, and you just yes. really need like a dual physical weapon wielder in there just to mix things up uh, because it. Yeah, definitely. Hannah, Hannah has an incredible range on physical moves, and that's great. But like, I she really carries my team a lot at the moment, and she's who I started with, so, so she's my highest, most powerful. Yes, and and, and yeah. her. Um, snow leopard lind is just great as frustrating as it is because lind's attacks are random between the pounce and the sweep which can be frustrating but uh generally it works i haven't out. figured out yet is is that a sword attack or a lance attack what is the lind's so the pounce is a lance and the sweep is a sword okay yeah all right yeah that um that covers her nicely as well because exactly, she yeah. uses axes and bows and then if you make her a warrior she can be more reliable with yeah. swords and and uh, that's and not even that including that well. whole capture mechanic like you were saying with the polar bears so you can have yeah you can have reach on every single physical attack if you want and she can even have like healing Definitely. healing um captures so like the whole pokemon thing coming true again 
Definitely, yeah. She's very flexible. I also really like doing that with Primrose and Ophelia, having them bring people in. There was one situation yeah. I tweeted about, which I wish I had a video of, which is I just summoned this tavern wench and she used a bow attack, but she hit everyone on the screen and she just murders them all in one hit. And I'm like, this tavern wench just like cleaned out this <laughs> this group of monsters. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty amazing. So I was like, oh God, that's very useful. And you can, you can get some really useful... Um, kind of side characters but they do have like a limited amount of times you can use them which is why i think honey's a little bit overpowered because you can have like five or six different um kind of creatures whereas you can only be guiding or um alluring one character with primrose yeah yeah i think they have like more times you can summon them like up to nine times versus like sometimes the creek like one of the frost bears i got was only three summons oh Um, right okay so yeah so it depends i think my sort of wow what a moment kind of thing i tweeted this was they're like the and you compared them to um silver or golden slimes from dragon quest metal um, slimes metal slimes that's the one uh the they're like these cats with like a scarf around their neck and they they almost look like they're a thief or something and they're they Kate, always try and escape battles very very fast um so i used like i had some sort of trapping thing that i think hanit's got i can't remember um, and I managed to trap it and like it was really hard to break and all your attacks keep missing so I really had to like use all these specials at the time who which made it easier to hit uh, and eventually I beat it and you get something like 1200 1100 XP and my characters just zoomed from like level low level 17 to mid level 19 in like one battle which was just insane yeah. and yeah so stuff like that is just very very satisfying when you find that's it. the best way to level up in rpgs is finding that one enemy that basically runs away all the time but if you kill it you get so much xp that was how yeah. i beat dragon quest 8 is i went to this one island where it, all there was on that island were metal slimes and like king metal <laughs> slimes and all this shit and i would just like murdered as many as i could um until i got high enough level to where i could deal with the final boss otherwise i wouldn't have beaten that fucking game because the the xp grind to the end was just rough it was just very very high are you scared this game will have an equally challenging xp grind in points later on well you see i think that's probably the biggest weakness of the game for me so far um and i think it depends on how you you've been playing it but for me because i was switching out characters a lot and i wanted everyone to be on kind of an equal footing when i got to the end of the eight characters uh, their initial chapter ones my highest level character was 16 and i think my lowest was like 12 so right. in order to get to chapter two which like the lowest level for that is 21 i had to do so much grinding i really just had to push yeah. myself to level up and level up and level up i think maybe i was taking the wrong approach to it it's probably a better idea to just go around and explore the world a bit and you know in the yeah. process of that find the secondary jobs and go and maybe try to do some side quests around yeah. and stuff like that I, I think the side quests are really rubbish in this game honestly they don't tell you a lot they really make it unclear what you have to do a lot of them are just based around a path action so you need to use the right right path action in order to fix the issue um and there's very little to nothing story that comes out of them so and you don't get experience for doing it sometimes you just get money and and some items potentially but money yeah they're just kind of yeah they're kind of rubbish those yeah i want to try more of them to see if i can change my mind on them but yeah i agree i my i think my playing style and the way i explored the world and the pace at which i was sort of going through i definitely didn't find the grinding and getting to the next chapter 
as bad i mean i i, I am now okay. at chapter two and i am the relevant level and i'm still finding it very tough but i think that's partly less to do with my level and just that i need mm-hmm. to i need those extra job skills to be honest but um, yeah so yeah. yeah i i kind of i agree like the, it's, it's better definitely better to make sure like you explore a bit make sure you try and get all the chests when you see them to like make sure you just see where that path goes and see what this does and i've definitely been doing that along the way um and yeah just i think stopping and trying to level up a little bit more here and there because you're right that you can I, I could see myself getting to that point and i just thought take the pace off just have a little look around here and i did it gradually and at, at, at no point did i feel like i was grinding for excessive amounts of time so and i think i'm going to try and keep going at that rough yeah. pace and i've and i've been mixing up characters i, I feel well like because... maybe the best idea for me is to focus on like a core party of four and to go through with them because they'll level up more effectively if i just keep only those characters around so i'll get to the point where i am at a good level once i've done all their chapter twos that's an interesting idea although i'm i'm scared that your your last 20 hours of the game you're going to be playing with just your b team and trying to find it quite frustrating i don't know yeah but what, just... what i could do potentially is like use an overpowered character to carry them through you know as yeah. well so that could be helpful potentially yeah um but yeah, I, I mean, you know, could end up just doing it that way. That could be an easier way to do it in t- instead of... Because I think the hard thing about that and why it's such a bummer that there's a grind in between is that not only are there breaks in the story between all these characters because you have to do eight different stories and keep track of them all, but then after that, you then have to wait even longer to get to the next part of the story. So I did theory on second part. I His story is okay um there's some intrigue to it uh i feel like there's gonna be some reveal that happens that has been set up from the start of his story um and i and i'm pretty certain that that's going to be more interesting than what i'm doing right now because right now it's kind of a it's a few things linking up here and there that i don't want to spoil but i kind of think oh okay hmm, maybe that's going to do this sort yeah of thing, so we'll see potentially yeah and i think he there's a very clear path for Therion right now of like what his objective is and where he is going with it and what is next essentially mm. um so i know exactly what i'm doing for the next chapters um i'm sure there will be some spanner in the work and it'll probably be something interesting but i don't know if it, it felt like maybe a, a bit of a letdown that his story wasn't more engaging after i had done all that grinding to get there um okay know? Um, i think the stories so, generally are quite good they're not that some of them yeah, are much better than they others vary. um yeah but overall i think it, they are good and i'm enjoying them so we'll, and i think they'll develop more in chapter two obviously yeah and i actually i think one of the benefits of this game is a lot of the stories are not about world ending consequences they're very no. personal they're about yeah. you know things that the characters are doing for themselves and what relates to them and the world around them and i think that's actually more refreshing than your classic there's a god-awful demon band together and save the world type of idea it right. it just feels a bit more refreshing in that sense so I, I i like that idea i just think some of the stories so far have just not engaged me as much as i wanted to um but there are a few that i'm definitely very interested in so i i want to follow those threads and and make sure that i go down those paths so so yeah um so far so good i've been enjoying it a lot um any other points that you want to pick up on before we go to break, Bally? Uh, just that it's 
there's something so smooth and seamless about this game that I was really hoping would be the case from playing the demo, and I think they've really they've really nailed it in terms of ease of play and yeah it's absolutely a great handheld game and i think the save point even though it's save points and not um auto save although sometimes it does auto save i've noticed there are yeah there are some auto saves but i don't know how consistent they are yeah like even every area like even a small kind of screen area will have a save point and you'll be able to save there so you're never going to be losing progress too easily um and and stuff like that is just you know easy to pick up and play in as a handheld thing just be like oh, i'm just gonna grind a couple battles out and honestly like i complain about the grinding but one of my favorite things to do is to sit there with the switch and have a podcast on my computer and just do some mindless grinding while i listen to something else or watch something else so i, I also i think the length of these random encounter battles and the amount of grinding is made so much better by how satisfying and enjoyable the battle system is like i I find even the most even random encounters are just so satisfying to suss out weaknesses get the breaks at the right time and everything from the sound design to the animation of those attacks it's very very pleasing to play through like it's just the whole package just comes together so well definitely um it's uh it's a really good game uh i think we're both uh, enjoying it a lot and i think we're both gonna just keep playing as much as we can and hopefully get through it see if we can finish at least one of the stories um i feel like i am gonna finish cyrus's first probably um just because he's the highest level and he is the main character for me um it's weird that you just kind of choose and you don't realize oh wait i can never take this person out of my party it makes for the idea that they are a little bit over leveled so like he is way higher they apparently they can come out of your party eventually so they they only come out of your party once you finish their story so you have to get to the end of their story in order to do that right Um, okay so yeah i think that's what i'm going to end up doing is like finishing his first and then trying to switch up my party so it's a bit more flexible yeah um, yeah. and i have more people in there um but yeah so much flexibility with this game it's it's it's, i know yeah it it is kind of flexibility the game in the sense so many combinations it's crazy yeah openness wherever you want to go next you know like i didn't think my my first chapter two was going to be theory on but that's kind of the the direction i went and it was one of the lower level ones like level 22 so i was like ah i'll go for this one see how it goes um Mm. and yeah and it worked out so so yeah it's it's very cool in that way and uh very intrigued to see how it keeps going and ties together a bit more i know a lot of people complain that the stories don't tie together to me i i'm not worried about that i i i definitely understand that the world feels less cohesive in that sense because they aren't talking to each other or interacting but it for me it's more of there's this just blank divide between mechanics and storytelling and it's just kind of a video game thing honestly it's like we needed to have a party for this rpg but we actually want to tell individual stories so we're just going to do it this way so you have a party but also that's not relevant to what the story is so it's kind of the opposite of donkey kong country tropical freeze where like context matters so much sure. context here with the mechanics is just thrown completely well, out the if, fucking if they window. did eight um, small stories that you played beginning to end it just wouldn't work because it's you they still want to introduce that party structure and mechanics exactly. rather than just having a solo character facing down each chapter right 
story-wise might work better but yeah yeah because then we'd be back to like dragon quest one where you have this one character throughout the entire game and that's you know it's like the oldest jrpg possible and uh yeah didn't have parties back then but (laughs) we're past that at this point in time gotta have them gotta party on uh so so yeah uh that is going to be it for what we've been playing uh don't worry because we'll be back after this break with a bunch of emails from yourselves so uh don't go anywhere we'll be right back Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. Um, as we mentioned in the first segment, two segment show uh, this episode. We've not done emails in quite some time. Um, Absolutely. It's been E3, it's been our backlog club, it's been predictions for E3, all these sorts of things. So we're going to do an extended segment with a few of your emails, but as crazy as this sounds, because we've not done it in a while, we are running out of emails. We really we need do more need emails. Some, we need them. Um, so please send your emails to this Nintendo Life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com i'd also ask you to post questions in our discord server um go into our twitter account at tnl podcast it's actually just in the description of our podcast uh notes so if you go to the notes of the podcast you can find the discord link there as well um hit the link join the chat we got a little thread there for emails so you can right into the show there um as tim did who also posted in our discord and tim says there was some brief discussion in the general chat about Club Nintendo and My Nintendo and various reward services that Nintendo has offered being generally fairly badly implemented. If you had to design a new rewards program for Nintendo, how would you redesign it? For me, I don't really care too much about the way it runs currently, as even though there are not really any rewards that are worthwhile, everything is free and the coupons coupons could be useful if you want a game that is offered. Could be better if better rewards were offered like coupons for new games, but it's not completely terrible. Okay, uh, so I think this is about reforming the current My Nintendo apocalypse uh, and making it something that is actually usable and worthwhile. I think Nintendo actually, with the Switch, have made a system that is far more palatable um, than what they had before. But the weirdest thing to me about their system is that they are still giving you points for signing into the eShop on the 3ds and wii u as far as i know on my nintendo which is like at this point in time who the hell is doing that 
uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're a hardcore Nintendo fan, which I imagine the only people who use my Nintendo to its fullest extent are hardcore Nintendo fans, you're on Switch, you've moved on, you're not using those other consoles anymore, and on that service, your gold points could be used for reduced prices on a particular game, whereas on Switch, now you can get a reduced price on literally anything, whatever you want, and it's a okay monetary value it's not amazing it's um, a consistent five percent right yes and it's different in different countries right so something Ah. that i realized recently is i when skyrim was on sale on switch i bought it but i bought it in i think it was the russian e-shop it was either south african or russian uh one of those because they're usually the ones with the cheapest price um and they're also ones that the european credit cards have access to so i was able to buy it directly from there However, on my Russian account, um, the number of points that I would get towards the next purchase is nothing. It is absolutely nothing Hmm. because of the way their currency works um, versus ours. So I think it is different across the board. But for us in the UK, it is a decent amount where one gold uh, kind of point equals one pence, right? So I have like 270 right now, which is like three quid off a game. Um, And that's a system that I've really enjoyed on steam over the years where on steam you get trading cards and if you don't care about them you can sell them on the steam marketplace put them up for like two pence or four pence or whatever and you get a cut of that and then your steam wallet starts building up with just pennies and eventually it'll turn into pounds and eventually you'll have a good amount of money that you can just use to get money off a game on steam uh, in a sale or whatever so it's a small amount that I think could be improved, especially because in the past we have had the Nintendo Digital Deluxe service, which was on Wii U if you got the deluxe version of the console, and you would get a much larger percentage back when you bought digital games, which you could then feed into you know, more purchases in the future. Um, that, however, was like a limited time thing. I believe it was one year, um, and then after yeah. that year was up, you didn't have access to it anymore. Um, and maybe that's why, because it was quite a good amount you were getting back from it. I think that so was Nintendo 10% put a put a stop on it, yeah, I, yeah. That, which was much larger, you know, right. um, and and much more significant. And I did take advantage of it a little bit, but again, it was Wii U, so I wasn't buying a lot of games on that console. Yeah. You know, I took advantage with Trine and with Runner Two and stuff like that, but you know, I, I maybe got a total of seven or eight quid back from it in the long run, um, and that's nice. But I would like that to be yeah. a more permanent fixture, you know? I I love what they're doing currently with Switch. I think that's great. The 5% is a nice, consistent thing. And I sort of stockpiled a bit and I spent like, I think, £12, I think, rather than 18 on Celeste, for example, which is a huge reduction. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> I really didn't think I would miss, but I actually am ending up miss, really missing the good old Club Nintendo with plushies and hard stuff that you yeah. could get sent in the mail. Physical and goods. Physical goods. I I do miss them. I don't. I don't really want to spend my own like money buying a lot of these things as much as I do sometimes, and I certainly did did when I was in Japan. But yeah, I. I like the idea that like we we got those Yoshi plushies for what felt like right. For free. I'm sit I'm sitting uh, right now staring at my Yoshi who's sitting right. on my PS4 right next to the Dragon Quest slime that you got me from Japan. Yeah, yeah. They're both just sitting there together on top of my so, PS4. I um, wish and that... it's really cool, you know. Like and and that, again, as you said, 
as people who generally don't go out and buy memorabilia like that, it was a neat thing to be like, oh, I have one of these things now and it's pretty cool. Yeah, and that was the only way of getting it, which was the Right, it's exclusive, part. yeah. It's exclusive. And I wish that... So, yes, I'm stocking up. I think I'm on like £2.50 at the moment in my... Uh, on my switch account or whatever and did you get more of that because you got octopath digitally yeah yeah so i got yeah. octopath I, so i actually I just registered my octopath cartridge and i got 50 gold points for it so i imagine you Ooh, get geez. much yeah, more got, than that yeah i got 247 right so because i the when you do physical version you only get one percent i think back right. versus the five yeah. percent on digital which is just that's why they're encouraging you to go digital basically yeah. i mean and i think you could encourage more people to go digital if using that £2.47 that I've acquired, there was a, a shop somewhere. You could even access it through the Switch, for example. And it's a shop full of memorabilia and plushies and ornaments and things. And they hmm. just have normal, they just have prices on them. But the prices you pay for them, you can only acquire through how, how you currently get, gain um i think they points. sell stuff like that through the nintendo like uk store itself don't they so you could be in a situation where potentially you access the nintendo uk physical goods store from your switch eShop, sure and then you know buy stuff from there potentially yeah so that's what i'd love and if as you i, I think it, as you say mbz you only get one percent if you buy physical and you get five percent if you buy digital like nintendo are kind of egging you on a little bit in some way to go digital instead of um hard copies and i think that that's a trend that there's a huge debate about how that'll look and i always when the switch before the switch came out i was like i'd rather i went all digital or all physical and i'm doing exactly what i did with the wii where i'm going a bit half and half um but that was partly to do with living in belgium to be honest because it was just sure a pain in the arse but and also now because caroline also has a switch you're thinking yes, along the lines exactly. of sharing games so and share. having it digitally means yeah. you can't do that so yeah so i mean maybe one day nintendo will pull a, a microsoft or whatever and shut down the ability to share and i don't know the, the, yeah something might happen in the future that makes it far more realistic to go digital you might build up way accrue way more points and if you could just have physical things to spend those points on i i completely get that the, it's a very high cost uh to those physical goods because they were always sent out for free so regardless of whether i lived in antarctica or edinburgh i would i was still getting it sent for free um i'm right i mean i doubt antarctica was in their postal range but... yeah well I, I think it was mainly because it was from the uk branch that it would probably right. be sent from, from so there's, stuff i appreciate the UK, there's so. not nintendo branches in every country across the world sure. and that is very unfair it makes on... it a lot more difficult yeah right. for those places yeah um, so i can see why they're not doing it as a high cost and i think that the switch is probably quite a bit more successful than a lot of the a lot of the fan base was there might be a bigger fan base now i'm saying than there was when it came to sort of those invested in club nintendo and that that market yeah definitely it's um i think it's actually much smarter for them to do it this way and it is actually a benefit that you don't get on other systems right it's i think people complain a lot about it because nintendo has had a history of giving things away through these uh, programs that they've created um but honestly getting money back on stuff that you're spending money on is better than you can do on psn like if you buy a game on right. psn you're not getting you know uh, added stuff to your wallet to go towards a new purchase um I've always thought the idea of a trophies or achievement system being built in around a rewards program 
would be smart right a lot of people are like oh yeah why don't nintendo do their own trophies you know achievements type thing and i've always thought along the lines of if they were to ever do that system what they should do is they should build it around their club nintendo or their my nintendo whatever they have at the time Mm. and reward you with gold points for getting achievements so if you got all the achievements or whatever in a game you would get a huge amount of gold points and that would be a monetary incentive for you to really go after those because for me personally achievements whatever bragging rights trophies doesn't matter to me whatsoever because it's just a digital thing that has no meaning like you can brag about it but unless there are other people around who care about trophies and achievements it's not really a thing you know it's it's not of any importance so having the ability to benefit monetarily from that i would be way more motivated you know i would be someone who's like okay maybe i will uh, you know platinum slash get full achievement points whatever they call it in this nintendo game um get the star or whatever i think they would brand it probably yeah. around mario stuff with like stars and mushrooms and nonsense um because then i would be gaining money to buy buy new games and spend yeah. on new games i think it would actually benefit their entire ecosystem and get more people spending more money on games digitally yeah and i mean you could even link that ecosystem to the hard physical goods like the plushies and link it all together yes. and, and, and i've heard both of these ideas floated around before and i i refuse to believe that nintendo aren't already considering ideas like this they've just either not th- thought that it's economically worthwhile or there's some cost that they think is not beneficial or there's a like there's a whole host of things i think it's just too good for the consumer is what it is like nintendo tend to not make moves that are great for the consumer in terms of like well, they hardly consumer, ever but, i mean it would benefit the the hardest of the core the most sure but it would still be one of those things that we are able to leverage and maybe get a you know we get more tangible benefits from this than maybe nintendo want us to get if they were to do that system um you know they're a company who never reduce the price on their first party games mario kart and wii you can still find it for 30 quid in places which is just stupid like that makes zero sense but it happens because that's the value that nintendo place on their software um and so i think from their perspective it is way too much to give us in order to you know um be something that they would implement into a program that they yeah. had um so so that's why i don't think it's because because it, it's it for nintendo they want to control this as much as possible uh, and they they want it to feel like we're getting something but not too much because if it's too much then it feels like so you can kind of cheat the system in a way yeah definitely um but yeah tim thank you for your question um our next email is from ryan who's from the internet dear mbz and bally dark souls remastered was released recently and created some controversy because it looked very similar to the original game but cost twice as much this got me thinking about what a, a good time frame for a remake slash remaster is the best example of a remake i can think of is fire emblem echoes and that was released 25 years after the original i think 20 years at a minimum is a good time to remake a game what do you guys think is a good time thanks ryan okay that's um, a crucial part of this i actually think okay like that i think there is a big difference between a remake and a remaster absolutely they're two very different things and the two that he has used as descriptions are the complete opposite of one right. another 
exactly so i think that the time frame for both of them is very different as well where um a remake i mean is there a time limit arguably there isn't a time limit i mean there is maybe a sweet spot and i'd probably agree maybe 20 to 30 years might be quite a good sweet spot Uh, right i think the sweet spot is always dependent on the nostalgia of the people who grew up playing it so a good 15 to 20 years makes a lot of sense because for example with final fantasy 7 remake the people who grew up playing final fantasy 7 are now mid-20s to 30s adults who now have the disposable income to spend money on the new and, game that will come out and are, are going to talk about the, it and be excited about to it to wait 10 years <laughs> exactly because that's never going to come out i mean you definitely gain more patience as we get older i think yeah. right but, totally uh, yeah and i also think the remasters uh what's one of my favorite remasters i don't know wind waker hd i think that yes the time frame on something like, something like that i believe was wind waker came out in 2002 yeah um and then the remaster came out in what 2012 13 so like 14 uh, i think 14 roughly 10 to 11 12 years i think and that was a very good remaster like they really sorted out a lot of bulk and issues with that game made it look great um and for the time frame it just felt like a really good uh remaster uh it didn't feel like necessarily it was a remake entirely uh but they they did add things though that made it much more clean and easy to play um so you know things like the swift sail and reducing the triforce quest at the end to something much more manageable absolutely um, were really good additions and smart additions but they weren't a full over-the-top complete no remastering of or remaking of uh yeah. the entire systems of the game whereas something like fire emblem echoes is so visually different and mechanically uh different even though like a lot of the core mechanics remained from that original um you know they added mila's turn wheel which was like the changing the clock back so you could uh redo turns and stuff like that um and the whole 3d dungeon exploration which is cribbing on an idea from that game and fully realizing it it's making so many more vast sweeping changes um that make it stand out as more distinct uh as a like completely different experience right so something like metroid zero mission is a really good example of a remake that takes the core idea of the original and the feel and the atmosphere and the sense of the original and crafts it into something that is modern and playable and makes sense to a new audience um i think those those tend to be my favorite types uh of these because remasters they're great but remasters are much more about delivering it to a new audience with the least kind of work put into it possible like i just played the first uncharted on ps4 yes and it's it, great because you play it at 60 frames per second now and yeah. you couldn't do that before and stuff like that. And it didn't look it didn't look like a modern game, but it looked a lot better than the original. It ran well. Definitely. I got the experience. It probably wasn't... It, you could probably turn that game around by a developer fairly fast compared to, you know, building a game from the ground up, for example, or a remake. Right. Um, and, and on that note, Naughty Dog actually used The Last of Us as a measure for how to kind of deal with the PS4 hardware. Um, that remaster came out literally one year after the original on PS4. Um, and so that company, while they were figuring out their new tech, while Uncharted 4 was being worked on, they used The Last of Us as a benchmark, as like, okay, this is what we can do with the system, this is how we can push it, and in the 
long run, it's worked out really well for them because not that many people had played the original Last of Us on PS3 because there were far more Xbox 360 owners, at least in North America. And so when most people migrated from 360 to PS4 as their core console, Last of Us Remaster comes out and people are like, oh, hey, I heard this game's amazing. Never had the chance to play it before because I didn't own a PS3. Now I can. Um, And I think that's where, for me, that's where remasters come in is that they are trying to hit a gap in the market and make a bunch of money on something that before maybe didn't have as large of an audience. Um, And, like, 20 years was mentioned, and a lot of people have been talking about, like, what remasters will Nintendo do next? And Link's Awakening is one that comes up yeah there's that rumor about the 3ds kind of remake right isn't and it? Yeah. obviously like link between worlds was going to be a remake of um oh my god my mind um, a link, with, a link, link to, to the, the past. past yeah um but then they decided actually this is so different why don't we just do the uh, like you know a whole new thing with this game and that turned yes. out great uh, i could imagine them going for link's awakening in terms of like time frame the original game was 93 so that should have okay. been 2013 uh, yes. so we've missed that opportunity but then the game boy color remake so it's already been remastered or remade i guess that would be more remaster although there is a whole extra dungeon so i guess for the time it's probably a remake that was 90 like 98 99 in eu mm-hmm. so i guess like next year would be the 20 years or this year or like around you know 2020 that could be a good time slot for it so potentially sort of yeah sweet spot is made where someone a generation have grown up on the game and then it's come around where they're playing games as they're becoming older and then you know like your final fantasy 7 example exactly yeah um and and it's kind of trying to hit uh people who maybe missed it the first time around the the thing with fire emblem echoes that makes it interesting is it's a game that never actually came out in the west it was a japan only game um and so in some senses that's a completely brand new game to most people um it was to me so you know i think that that's also a Mm. avenue that can be uh gone down you know if what if mother 3 is just never going to come out and they're going to remake it right like mother 3 started development as an n64 game in the first place right um so you know they could possibly snazz it up a bit more make it a a switch game i don't know how people would feel about that because i think people love the original way too much for it to be you know touched and and, and changed in any way um but that's possible definitely possible i guess i guess Um, we'll see what was the last remake nintendo did twilight princess they did twilight princess yeah which was far more of a remastering than anything else they didn't like unlike wind waker they didn't do large sweeping changes i know they reduced the amount of tears of light you needed to collect in those sections it was a shorter time gap as well i guess so yeah yeah definitely um because twilight princess yeah a few years after wind waker so so that one was yeah more recent i don't know if you count what they're doing on switch as remasters then um, marika 8 deluxe you know how could we forget Um, uh, metroid 2 Samus right returns. yes yeah. samus returns that's a really good example we talked about zero mission but um yeah samus returns is again an example of a remake um that has been modernized and changed but still keeps the core of what that original game was um and you know adds a whole bunch of different stuff you know chase sequences and bosses that just weren't in the original um and obviously everyone compares it to amtr and that again being a remake in in a different way so i think that nintendo 
do do this quite often and i feel like nintendo every time they do this they try to make significant changes and differences even if it is with more of a remaster like wind waker you can see that they've done stuff to to make it a better experience um and then you know when they do the ground up remakes they really go for it like with zero mission samus returns and um and a bunch of others yeah echoes um which is really good uh i i feel that they definitely in this era right now are leveraging a lot of their old stuff because no one played it in the last few years like wii u games coming to switch i do, it's hard to say that those are remasters or or anything along those I mean, lines just like re-releases basically. It, it, it's basically yeah. like yeah it's basically just being a re-release because marika 8 deluxe you know it probably runs a bit better looks a bit better on switch but honestly not a huge difference in terms of how that game plays um it's the same game essentially captain toad's just come out that's got some yeah new captain levels toad is new levels but also kind of the same game same um game. so can we call those remasters i don't know we're in a weird place with nintendo right now in particular because they're leveraging a lot of the games on the previous systems but then you know you could say that for a bunch of other games on ps4 right now you know like they put out Darksiders 2 Definitive Edition and shit like this. Yeah. You know, they, they are putting out games from the previous generation like, again. N- Nintendo um, might be like, why why would we do a complete upheaval of Link's Awakening for something like Nintendo Switch when we could very quickly just get 3D World straight over onto the, the Switch? And like, yeah, exactly, yeah. I, mean, I, I think both of those games are quite likely to maybe happen in 2019 or something, and you could do probably you, get quite a quick How How do you feel about the gap closing on this stuff right now because we're in year two and we've had a bevy of re-releases remasters things on the switch that have been on previous systems before um you know from third parties as well um ports in a lot of senses but you know skyrim is based on the remastered version of skyrim even though it probably isn't doesn't have all the lighting and textures from the actual remastered version Mm. um do you think that we are going to continue to see Nintendo do that with Wii U games, or are they are they running out at this point? Is is Mario Maker two more likely now than it was, you know, six months yeah, ago? Yeah, I think Mario Maker is maybe an interesting one where it was so it's very hard to replicate in the same way. Where I think the the amount you'd have to maybe jig it and change it, they'd they'd want to do a, a complete remake or up or a Splatoon two equivalent sort of thing to that game, right? Um, on the rest and stuff, stuff like 3D World, I think it's all dependent on how well the current ports are doing. Um, and to my knowledge, most of them are selling pretty well um, because the Switch is so successful and the Wii U is so unsuccessful. I don't think all of those games that are selling well are necessarily amazing games. Captain Toad's great, but I wouldn't call it like this stellar game that's going to automatically sell well. So I think it just depends on sales. And to my knowledge, limited as it is, I think that they're, they're generally doing quite well like you see them doing well in the charts and things like that so i think as long as they continue and that there's not a dry up uh and they're they're certainly not in a dry up yet uh they're going to keep continuing i don't know is that your your take yeah i feel like that's probably likely um i do think that you know nintendo still have this weird reliance on uh kind of remakes remasters if you want to be cynical about it you could say that the two biggest games these holiday this holiday for nintendo are a remake and a remaster because pokemon let's go pikachu and let's go eevee are basically a remake of red and blue uh in a weird different way red and and blue cross pokemon go yeah exactly uh and 
and then Smash Brothers. I don't know. You know, it's a new game. Obviously, Brothers, we yeah. we've seen. But um, you know, there are people who would who but, would say it's a remaster. But Ridley, with Ridley, yeah. But Ridley. Um, so so yeah, like. Nintendo, I think, are in a different place from a lot of the industry because you see, like, you saw this on the PlayStation 3 where there was, you know, the Ratchet and Clank HD collection, the Jack and Daxter HD collection. Um, they did Eco and Shadow of the Colossus HD. And then this generation, they remade Shadow of the Colossus, kind of. Even though I. So the Shadow of the Colossus remake is a weird one for me because it feels less like a remake and more like a very. Remake? It, that's what they say it is okay. um, but it's like more of a grandiose remaster is how right. I see it because that's another one I need to play right and it's it's basically it's the exact same game it just looks phenomenal you know it right. just looks it insanely look good yeah. um, but it's it's the same game so that's one where I feel like their wording and messaging on it is a little bit weird right. because in my mind it's not a remake it's just a you know even better remaster than the one they had done before um yeah for me the the way that i go about it is the remake has to make significant changes to the game to make it different um and feel like a different game that you can stand apart and say you know metroid is different from zero mission completely they are two different games um whereas dark souls remastered is dark souls and it runs at 60 fps on the new consoles and it didn't before but it's Dark Souls. It's and the, the same Switch version game. is taking a very long time to come come out. It still hasn't come out, and we still don't yeah. know when it's going to come out. Um, yeah, it's that's that's definitely a weird one. But um, but yeah, I th- honestly I think a lot of people get up, up in arms about remasters and why you know what people are like why are they releasing more of these and these. There's always someone who hasn't played that game. You know, there's always someone who is just yeah. being introduced to games who wants to experience them i just bought a ps4 i'm loving all the remasters they're great exactly like you want to play last of us at some point and you can do that because sony have put it out again um and there are loads of examples of that i think sony do a good job of just re-releasing games constantly they're very good at um, releasing the biggest best games yes quite consistently for someone definitely like me to, to go but yeah yeah to, to catch up on it and things like that so yeah i uh uh, overall i like remakes and remasters because they give you a better version of a game um and sometimes it's good to wait for that version of that game you know like i've never played dark souls before i'm gonna play the remastered version if i ever do play it you know it's it's the it's the most um effective version of that game Next right back, now backlog club oh god <laughs> jesus that'd be, that'd be uh, do you uh, want to kill us bally do you want to end this show i think um, i'd rather a shorter game or a less uh-huh just game. just a little bit just a little bit um, that'd be good but yeah ryan um, thank you very much for your question before we end this sure. question what is your number one remake slash remaster that you want from nintendo oh. i i would say mine is probably metroid fusion but I want it to be done not in the Samus Returns 3D art style. I want it to be like Octopath or something with oh like man. high, oh high pixel yeah. like Octopath. craziness. Yeah. Um, I, I don't... The first Advance Wars, like, shake yeah. up the art style, give it that Fire Emblem uh, palette that they've gone for with stuff like Awakening and Birthright right. and all those games. Yeah. Like, just brush that up, get it out, see how much people take to it, and then that could be their decision whether they go for any more advanced wars ever again in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but I, I would love to get on this Link's Awakening bandwagon. If that does happen, that would be a good game to go back to. Because ga- there's elements of that game I absolutely loved, but there's some elements that 
the more we sort of went into Oracle uh, and um, season, Oracle Seasons and Ages, like th those games kind of made Link's Awakening feel a bit more tired. And I'd like to see what they could do with that game if they remade it. The correct answer to this question is, of course, Mario Sunshine, which doesn't need yeah. to be remastered because if it was remastered, people would realize that it's an ass That'd game that no one would like. But maybe um, they're scared about that same question from Mario 64. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe both of them could do with a remake. I think, I, I think if you approach Mario Sunshine again, it has to be a remake. It has to, because there is so much stuff in that game that has aged phenomenally poorly um, and needs to be addressed and changed. Um, so I would I would put my money on Mario Sunshine as a kind of complete redo. Um, I'd love them to do to that. I just think that that 3D world port is way too easy and obvious for them yeah, to Yeah, no, right, right now, at this current moment, like yeah. cost effectiveness and yeah. all of that, obviously. That, could, that yeah. could come out next month if they wanted. It's pretty good. much, yeah. They, they can, yeah. I mean, Captain Toad came out pretty, pretty quick. But yeah, yeah Brian, so. great question. We look forward to the next remakes and remasters. Um, so thanks for that our next email is from a friend of the show uh, Liam Robertson uh, hey guys great job on the show as always I heard on your previous episode uh, that a listener wrote in asking about Nintendo potentially having a car racing series of their own similar to how Microsoft has Forza the two of you suggested F-Zero as an alternative but this question prompted me to write to you about a Nintendo car racing game you may not have even heard of that I would love to see come to Switch in 2017 Nintendo published a reboot of the Cruisin' series in arcades it was developed by raw thrills and is pretty much everything i could want out of a nintendo arcade racer it features a boost system and morphing environments similar to excite truck and is a whole lot of fun it has recently been cropping up in arcades all over the uk and i would recommend giving it a shot if you happen to see it it has nintendo's name all over the cabinet so it's clearly something they're proud of and then he's posted a link to the trailer uh, cheers liam yeah, so I, I watched this trailer and I was like, man, this looks like it's Psych Truck. Uh, it it really like has that sense of speed and kind of craziness that I loved about Excite Truck, but in a more kind of traditional kind of car style game, which I know the Cruisin' series is more like that. You know, it doesn't have the uh, carts of Mario Kart or the speediness of F-Zero, but it's more of a grounded in terms of like the cars you're racing, but it's still more arcadey and uh, a little bit over the top. Um how much familiarity do you have with cruising Bali? Basically none with cruising itself. Um, in in my my mother's random halls of N sixty four games when I was younger, <laughs> she would she she picked up games. Uh, these are like secondhand games. She'd often pick up and be like, "Oh, you got an N sixty four? Do you want to try these out?" Sort of thing. Where and you could buy them very cheap. So I played yeah. games like Top Gear Overdrive, San Francisco Rush, Extreme Racing. Um, and then I had sort of Wipeout 64, Racing Simulation Monaco Grand Prix, Hydro Thunder, that was probably... Uh, Hydro Thunder, in my view, is almost like the the sort of water version of, of like that style of game, where it's just yeah. crazy arcadey. Um, I had a lot of fun with all those games, to be honest. I think my favorite out of them was probably Hydro Thunder, although my cartridge was a bit dodgy and it needed, one, it needed a, um, a memory cart cartridge thing that you could get on the n64 right I, yeah. I never actually owned so uh, there was a handful of games i'd play where it'd restart every single time i put the cartridge oh in. no but for a racing game that wasn't the end of the world because right, often yeah. you didn't unlock many grand prix that already all unlocked so it didn't bother mm -hmm. me too much on games like that but um yeah my knowledge of 
actual arcades and the times that i go to arcades is so minimal and poor i think i've said this on the show before but like generally i just have not experienced arcades much at all but i would love for nintendo to just bring something like cruising to the to the switch or just a game like that yeah it really does evoke that sense that i had when i first played excite truck on wii of this is a really cool racing game that is different from a lot of the stuff that i've seen um and i i, I want to see them bring excite truck or an excite game to switch it's as well an arcade driving style game because i think mario kart has almost gone so far in its own thing that it's hard to describe it as an arcade racer it's just yeah it's a very different i think thing arcade implies that the cars are semi-realistic but doing crazy arcadey things maybe. exactly um, yeah like so, easy to drive and yeah. like feel good to drift and things like that yeah so like excite truck is perfect i think wave race is actually a lot more realistic than these kind of arcadey style like something like hydro thunder which is also on water like that's it just feels so much more simplistic and arcadey and easy to control than something like wave race which is uh-huh. sup- when you actually p- start playing a game like uh, wave race blue storm on gamecube you're actually <laughs> shocked at how intricate and finicky i think is a good oh, oh i wasn't it. shocked bally i <laughs> played it as a child and was scarred for life oh, emmy's has been disqualified again <laughs> like... god i'm just so shit at those games i suck i'm awful at them <laughs> um but this is why this game interests me so much more because i could beat you at excite truck you yeah. know it was you one of those few racing games where i could actually beat you at it and it, I, it thrilled me so much that i was able to it do that also because... had a track in scotland it did, yes. Oh God, yeah. They had they had multiple tracks in Scotland it's as well. Like the, it's like the, the the castle in that track. It was like the bloody Great Wall of China. It's Basically, like, there is no yeah. castle like this. In, no, this in just, it was very exaggerated <laughs> yeah, over the top. It's hilarious, um, but. Um... Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that stuff like this they should be bringing to Switch. And um, if I see this in an arcade, I will absolutely give it a go. I actually recently saw the Mario Kart GP game in an arcade, and I thought we were going to come back to it later. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a go later. We didn't end up going back there, so I actually never gave it a go. I really want to play that game still. I just still haven't played it. That is um, something we need to do, MBZ, is just bring, like, I don't know, 20, 30 quid and just yeah. do not leave an arcade until it's all gone and just yeah do a show about what we played and what we enjoyed and what definitely we need to find one though like a good arcade in the uk there will definitely be good ones if you have recommendations of arcades in the uk send them to us and we can give a look into that because that would be a really fun thing to do ideally in edinburgh and london those are our best options definitely um, yeah yeah definitely and of course if when we end up going to going to japan that's what what we're gonna Uh time trying out sure so yeah thanks for your email liam uh our final email of today is from matt who's from the northern mariana islands i mean emmy said i always say i love it when our listeners tell us where they're from um and it's because of gems like this like from Uh matt like the northern mariana islands i had to look this up and it's like halfway between uh sort of between like guam and japan um that's crazy that kind of educated me on some of the places our listeners live so Uh matt that's awesome we just really appreciate uh letting us know where you're writing in from because that is a very cool location we're global bali we're We're global. global we've made it 
Hello, MBZ and Bali. I started listening to the podcast since 2015 when I searched for something Zelda-related on YouTube and your Minish Cap retrospective came up. I've been hooked ever since. Your commentary has re-energized my passion for gaming as I took a hiatus from video games I did not know what to pick up and play three years ago, and your recommendations for games really helps. Anyways, on to my question. A while ago, I was watching a video on Pokemon and had a faint memory of playing the Diamond version. As I thought about it more, I kept slowly remembering my progress in the game and all the Pokemon I had caught. I then realized that I had actually beaten the game and caught the legendaries. It was a weird sense of amnesia. I enjoyed the game and obviously put quite a bit of hours into it, but I but had completely forgotten about it, even though I remember vividly other games I've played. I don't know if it's just because it came at a time when Pokemon fell off my radar, or I just started to play uh, to not play as consistently. Do you guys have video games, have a, have a video game that has slipped your memory for whatever reason, even though you put a lot of time into it? If so, what do you think caused the game to be forgetful? Keep up the great work. I look forward to more podcasts, Matt. Well, thank you very much, Matt, uh, and glad to have re-energized you to play some games. Um, I think that helped me when I started listening to podcasts back in 2010-11, um, when I started listening to RFN. I was like, I want to play loads of games, because these guys yeah. like play games all the it time. I want to really. get into it. So, yeah, uh, great that we can do that for you. Um, this one is interesting, because I... In the past, when people had said, like, I completely forgot I played that game, I was like, how do you forget that? Like, how, like, you spent all this time with this video game, how's it possible that you forget that time with it? It was mainly, like, reviewers back in the day who have reviewed, like, 700 video games, and it's like, how can you remember that one licensed game that you burned through in a weekend, like, in 2002? Clearly, that wasn't memorable enough to just remain in your memory banks. Um, And the more I play more video games... It's less that I forget what I did in the game. It's more that I forget how many games I've played. And until it's brought up, I'm like, oh, right, I did play that video game. Um, So it's more on that end. But there are a few in terms of, like, games that I know I've played, but I can't really remember much about them at all. Um, Yeah, I've... I mean, I we've said numerous times that we sort of... I definitely did not beat many games before we started the podcast. And um, so I would say that all the games that I've played since starting the podcast, I can actually remember most of them really well. And I think that even just having a podcast and subconsciously, because I do sort of like a lot of uh, tweeting for the show and this sort of thing. So I'm constantly looking back over previous episodes, like looking, often I'm, I'm looking at sort of show structures and trying to replicate formats and things like for new ideas and all sorts of things. But essentially I'm looking back through episodes, not necessarily listening to them all. Um, but I have like a rough idea in my head of like what I played when and yeah. the second and we also as a podcast it's a literal like diary of everything you have played in the last like four yeah. or five years exactly so. yeah so i i do like the idea that i can go back and see what i thought about game x at any point in time and i do have a general sense of when i talked about every game so like my backloggery currently says i've beaten 155 games so every, it's all the games sort of from my childhood that I might not have logged in backloggery and other things that I think I've probably spent the most time in and I guess not not forgotten but just don't think about very much and ultimately I've probably spent 
whole weekends of my childhood playing them. Um, like before I even had uh, my so my first home console was an N sixty four second hand one. Uh, but before that, I like my parents have or had a PC. And then they'd occasionally buy me a game here and there for the PC. And then when I'd be out shopping with them or something, we'd pick up a PC game. So games like, I had a Spider-Man game on PC that I played a lot yeah, of. Yeah, I, I have a really vivid image in my mind of you swinging through a city on that Spider-Man game. Right, yeah. I mean, and that was, I mean, years later after that, we played Spider-Man 2 and had such a good yeah. time. Um, but Lego Racers was another one I sunk a ton of time into um on on the pc and then stuff like sim city was another game i played a lot on pc and there were loads of games that i can't really remember the names of i like had some like i remember this one quite distinctly because we've talked about it so many times since but stuff like gungan frontier and Uh just these i mean most of these games were really bad and i think even the good ones will have aged awfully uh and looking back at lego racer because it for some reason it's appeared in my in my knowledge sort of on trailers and things on youtube here and there i think it was um actually when liam robertson did his bionicle stuff and then there was some other youtube video that sort of talked about some um other lego games and one of them talked in like the recommended videos on the side yeah and yeah exactly and i looked in at this lego racers i'm like that looks awful but at the time i was like this is the best game ever like this is amazing um and then i think the game i probably spent the most time playing in the first few years of earning an n64 when i was just playing by myself was actually probably world cup 98 um wow i played so much of that game i play like a whole i'd play a whole world cup in one sitting um and that would take up like half a saturday or like a whole saturday morning that that was all i'd play um and i definitely wish i'd had sunk my my teeth into a jrpg or something at the time but it just sure. wasn't what i was into then but yeah, yeah so many no, games definitely. that i've just kind of forgotten but now that this question's come i've tried to remember yeah, it's funny that you brought up Liam's Bionicles video because while I was watching that... Was that, 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 that was a nostalgia slap It was a massive... We, so, funny story. Back in the day at school, we so we were super fucking into Bionicles. And yeah. what we would do at break time is we would basically bring our Bionicles to school and we'd sit down in like one of the classrooms and we would basically battle them against each other. So, like, we'd just sit there, like, you, you could turn their arms and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, they so were designed where you'd... It was a about getting the opposition mask, the mask. Off, right? yes yeah. and you always had the green one which had the hooks which was really fucking good at taking <laughs> off the helmet and just, so like me with my it. shitty so i would use the blue one most of the time and me, i had a shield and a sword and it just wouldn't be effective at taking off your mask and yet every time you would like get the little flick like hook behind my mask and take it but off it was actually the the white one had a shield and sword the blue one had two hooks for the, the oh water, wait you're the you're right one. the blue one yeah. did have two hooks um yeah, yeah, so maybe maybe that was me thinking of, of uh, something else. But um, I do remember the green one having a similar thing that you were doing to me, and I was really annoyed by it. Um, but yeah, we were so into Bionicles. And also, Bionicles, there was a really bad like 2D side-scrolling game that came with some CD-ROM that I played 
with uh, that was a Bionicles based thing. Uh, played it on my dad's laptop and had completely forgotten about all of that and everything until this video pops up. I'm like, holy shit! Like massive nostalgia bomb just dropped on my face. Um, so, yeah. so that was cool. Um, some old games that I don't remember much of. Um, one that we played loads of together back in the day, Spyro: Season of Ice. Um, I just don't really remember what we did in that game. Like I, I, I've gone back and looked at video reviews and stuff like that to remember the perspective, but I just can't remember the core loop of the game or like what you did or or how it played and stuff like that so that's like a weird one that i spent so much time playing but can't recall a lot about these days um more recent ones is like when i was playing uh a lot of ds games uh like when i had you know using my ace card because i'd got that for doing pokemon stuff and i was like downloading a bunch of ds games like a goddamn filthy pirate um and i played so on rfn they had recommended a spider-man game uh that was basically a metroidvania and it was called spider-man shattered dimensions um and it was really good like i enjoyed playing it but i played it over like a weekend while listening to podcasts and I don't remember really anything about it. I remember it was fun and it was good. It had a good like swinging system and a decent like combat system and everything. And it was a bit more linear than your standard Metroidvania, but it was still, you know, had some openness to it. Um, but I don't remember much of that game. I just remember I played through it and I was like, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Um, Mortal Kombat Armageddon on Wii, uh, a game that I bought because... I remember you having that, yeah. Yes, so I it's a really bad game um it is a fighting game in the mortal kombat universe that used wii motion controls so a lot of the attacks you would do were using like um half circles and like motions in order to do them and it was very very difficult to pull off uh it was hard to kind of control properly everything just had to be wiimotes and swinging arms then didn't it it was just so annoying like all games just put it in no matter what right and so like this technical fighting game that shouldn't really have used that at all that was the main way that you played it and it was it was weird um the reason i bought it is because like i had had the success of on gamecube being like oh soul caliber looks cool so i'm gonna buy that and turned out that i loved soul caliber um and then i was like for Wii, i was like i want to do the same thing there's a cool fighting game coming out i want a cool fighting game so i got Mortal Kombat armageddon and turns out no not very good um and i don't remember a lot about it there's actually a whole single player mode in that game that i never went back to that's more of a kind of isometric fighting like a brawler uh that's not a fighting game in any way it's like kind of top down and you use when did that come out it was like god 2008 maybe maybe earlier than that 2007 potentially um but yeah i didn't like i played a really good amount of it but i don't remember a lot about it um it's one of those i should go back to and just see um one that i played tons of especially the multiplayer uh but not a lot of single player is one of the first games i got for my gamecube which is star wars jedi knight 2 jedi yes, outcast yes um you have I, to beat that game sometime it, i probably should um i could probably just get it on pc now it's you know, a better version maybe um it's one of those games that you know i was not good enough at shooters and it was more of a shooter than it was kind of a star wars lightsaber game um the reason i played so much of it was me and one of our friends from school used to just so we used to play loads of like 007 nightfire together and like lots of multiplayer stuff like that 
and we would also play loads of multiplayer Jedi Knight 2, which would involve us putting on the cheats to make us invincible Jedis and just go around slaughtering all these freaking NPCs and um, and just like enemies on the map. We'd basically set it to all bots and it would just be us two versus all the bots and we'd just go around murdering them all. It was really good. There was lots of like fun maps in there. I think one of the maps was actually um, reminiscent of the place in Naboo where they fight Darth Maul. Feed. Um, uh, Feed, yeah, uh, the but like the generator kind of yeah, area, the generator um, area. and like places like that. It was really fun. I again, but I you know don't recall a huge amount about that. I just remember having a lot of fun playing that multiplayer. Um, a really recent one is last year. I played Injustice Gods Among Us, and until I checked my backloggery, I'd completely forgotten I'd even played that game. <laughs> um, so really? there you go. Yeah, but like I I played it. It was fun, and now you know. I remember everything about it, but I just forgotten I'd played it. It's one of those games I played and I just like was done with. And then you know, if if you asked me to like make a list of like games I played last year, I don't think I would have said that game. You know, it wouldn't have come up in that sense. Yeah. So it's more about like forgetting that I'd actually played the game than what I'd done in it. Um, and I think the the best example of a game that I love love to death, but can't remember a fucking thing about is Tearaway. Uh, Tearaway is oh, a game yeah. for PlayStation Vita that you took the is... pictures and you yes you took pictures of your face and you like and you did lots of arts and crafts things and you used the back touch of the Vita and such a wonderful creative awesome game one of the best games I think probably the best game Media Molecule has made because uh, I like a Little Big Planet but I'm not a huge fan of it um, a lot of people have a big issue with how it feels and the platforming and um... yeah Little Big Planet you know people don't like the physics and stuff of like that but Tearaway is amazing it's such an incredible game and you can actually get a remastered version of it speaking of remasters on ps4 um and it does obviously it can't replicate some mm. of the camera stuff and some of the back touchscreen stuff but they made it work more for the ps4 as a system oh, um cool. so yeah if you haven't experienced tearaway you should play that remaster because uh it pretty much gives you the same or similar experience but I just can't remember anything about Tearaway. I just remember I loved it and it was awesome, but I don't remember much about the level design or the areas or anything. I just remember it being great. Uh, so that's a really weird one. Um, but but yeah, you should you should play Tearaway. I know in my heart that it's amazing and you should play it, but can't tell you why. Can't can't remember anything about it. So there you go. There's one of those uh, rare <laughs> ones. So so yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was a lot of emails we got through today. Um, we're going to need some more, though, so please keep sending them in. Where can they send them to, Bally? Please send them to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We always need more, especially now. And obviously, also send them to our Discord server. Uh, link in the description, or you can also access that link um, from our Twitter account, at TNLpodcast. That's at TNLpodcast. Jump in there. Write us an email. We'd love it. Absolutely. Uh, you can find us in various places. You can find me on the internet at LordNBZ. Where can they find you, Bally? I'm on Twitter at Ballyman91, B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. Fantastic. Uh, we also, of course, need to thank our patrons uh, for helping us with uh, the production and everything on this show. Uh, Bally, who are the patrons we need to thank? Thank you to our two $10 tier patrons. They are, of course, Atari, Alex, and my girlfriend, Caroline. Thank you very much for your support and yes just last week we released our fourth episode of tnl takes um and we covered went a bit political and we said we went mm-hmm. in depth on brexit and 
all the ins and outs of what on earth is a Brexit and pol- the wi- <laughs> and why. And we talked a lot about wider politics as well. So if you're interested interested yeah. in that, you can actually now download all eight of our Patreon uh, episodes for uh, five dollars. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can head over to patreoncom slash Life uh, if you are so inclined. And thank you to everyone who supports us. We really do appreciate it. Uh, you can find the show in various places. We are on iTunes, on Stitcher, we're on YouTube, youtubecom slash Life That was goes up uh, usually on Fridays after the show uh, on the Monday. Uh, and uh, and yeah, if you would review us, give us some ratings on iTunes, that would be highly appreciated that's how we get out to more people or just and, review uh, us on wherever you on wherever you listen to our show because i mean you can review us on lots of other things as well that would always help the probably, show. probably yeah i don't know where those places are but if you can review us on things that aren't itunes then oh things like what well, i want to say stuff like pod bean that's a good one maybe yeah, yeah like sure that. yeah i don't know i'm just gonna nod along and agree yeah that's probably there are places if you if you can find somewhere that reviews podcasts then just do that that's probably the best thing to do because it, spread, it spread widens the, the scope spread the word uh so yeah that is going to be us for today's show thank you all very much for listening we'll be back in a couple of weeks time with some more but until then thank you and uh see you next time bye bye interlude used on today's show was enveloped in kindness from Octopath Traveler. Copyright Square Enix 2018.